Earlier this year, on July 16th, US President Joe Biden visited Saudi Arabia. It's only becoming clear to me that how closely interwoven America's interests are with the successes of the Middle East. We will not walk away and leave a vacuum to be filled by China, Russia, or Iran. We'll seek to build on this moment with active principle American leadership. Back home, the American electorate were crying out against rising gas prices. The United States will support and strengthen partnerships with countries that subscribe to the rules-based international order. And we will make sure that these, those countries can defend themselves against foreign threats. Although not explicitly stated, it was widely understood that Biden had travelled to Riyadh hoping to persuade Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman to increase oil production, ensuring lower prices at the pumps. That didn't work. And, uh, we have a message to relay uh, to the whole world, a message of engaging, a message, a message of moderation, but also uh, a message of caution. On October 5th, Abdulaziz bin Salman, Saudi Arabia's energy minister, addressed a press conference in Vienna, where it was confirmed, in a surprise twist, that the energy cartel OPEC Plus would reduce daily oil production by 2 million barrels a day, ensuring that the cost of oil would remain high. The response from the US was immediate, and in the days that followed, visible cracks began to appear in US-Saudi relations. This week, why did OPEC Plus decide to cut oil production? How does it serve Saudi Arabia? Why has it angered the US? And is there a way back for Saudi-US relations? My name is Hugo Goodrich. Welcome back to Season 5 of The New Arab Voice. The Organization of Petroleum Exporting Countries, known as OPEC, is an intergovernmental organization of oil-producing nations. There are currently 13 member states in OPEC, including Iran, Iraq, Libya, Saudi Arabia and the UAE. OPEC Plus adds a further 11, including Bahrain, Oman, Sudan, South Sudan and Russia. While not official OPEC members, they do participate in the organization's initiatives, such as oil production cuts. Due to the control that OPEC wields over the international price of oil, they have been likened to a cartel. The OPEC Plus decision of October 5th was a shock to many. It was announced that they would cut production by 2 million barrels a day. Saudi Arabia's energy minister spoke with journalists following the OPEC Plus meeting. You know, our priority now is stabilising market. Now, we could be accused of wanting to uh, influence market in a negative way. That's everybody's prerogative. We and others will see how we conduct ourselves in the months to come. While the headline figure was a production cut of 2 million barrels a day, this does not inherently mean that there will be 2 million fewer barrels a day. The production cut will lower the daily production limit by 2 million. Therefore, all extracting countries that are not currently meeting their maximum daily allowance 
might not change their production levels at all. In true terms, analysts believe that the cut figure would be closer to around 1 million barrels per day, but could be as low as 600,000 barrels a day. Saudi Arabia is a key member of OPEC, and oil exports are central to and the largest pillar of the Saudi economy. So what prompted the cut decision? Obviously, Saudi Arabia, United Arab Emirates, Russia, all of them gain, obviously, from the oil cut because that's going to translate into uh, a rise in uh, oil prices. This is Imad K. Harb, the Director of Research and Analysis at the Arab Centre, Washington, D.C. By increasing revenue, obviously, they add to their coffers to do whatever they want to do with that money. Uh, their budget really will, will fare better, uh, considering that all of them are, except for the UAE maybe, have really grand uh, ideas about what to do uh, in foreign policy, at least. Um, in domestic politics, uh, Saudi Arabia has embarked on a uh, huge economic uh, development uh, plan. MBS's uh, Vision 2030 is really costing hundreds of billions of dollars. So obviously, any rise in oil prices is going to uh, help that. It's simple economics. When the demand for an item, such as oil, increases and the availability decreases, then the price of the item goes up. Uh, you know, a few years ago, Saudi Arabia declared that it's probably comfortable with about $84, $85 a barrel uh, for oil. Today, I think it's trading around specifically that much. I think they would be very, very happy if uh, the price of oil went to $140 a barrel, like what happened before the uh, financial crash of 2008. So it's uh, definitely it's uh, uh, it's a boost for their uh, economic picture. Money, as is so often the case, is a highly motivating factor. Saudi Arabia, in particular, has highly ambitious plans, perhaps best exemplified by Neom, a mega project with an estimated price tag of five hundred billion dollars to build a 170-kilometre-long, 200-metre-wide, high-tech city of the future. Walking hand-in-hand with the financial concerns of Saudi Arabia are the political considerations. Politically speaking, uh, it's uh, it's another gain if the Saudis really want to weaken the Biden administration. And this has been talked about a lot in uh, in the United States. Saudis are um, not necessarily very fond of Joe Biden. They're not very fond of the Democratic Party in general. The Democratic Party seems to be critical. Uh, Obviously, this has definitely a uh, a political angle to it. And the Democrats may very well suffer in the midterm elections because of this uh, oil price uh, hike. The Biden administration and many of his fellow Democrats have been vocal in their opposition to Saudi policies and actions. The brutal murder of Washington Post journalist Jamal Khashoggi, chief among them. However, Despite accusations that the recent cut was, at least in part, political, OPEC have continued to deny such claims. The UAE energy minister spoke to reporters on October 18th. The last decision was taken on the same approach. And I would like to reiterate that there is nothing political about any decision we take within OPEC. We uh, come from different countries, as you know, we have 20 plus countries and uh, there is no way that politically all of them, they will agree on one thing. 
But despite that, this is a technical organization. I don't know if Saudi Arabia could have done anything else. I mean, you know, Saudi Arabia has to look, and Russia and the UAE and Kuwait and all these guys have to look out for their financial well-being. Obviously, it's a sovereign decision. Obviously, nobody is disputing that. But the, all these sovereign decisions definitely have political angles. And uh, it just happens that the decision to cut oil production, uh, which will result in a rise in oil prices, is a political decision that's going to hurt the Biden administration. And it appears that specifically the principles of this decision, Saudi Arabia, Russia, and the UAE, uh, are not on good terms with the Biden administration. So uh, we really cannot uh, neglect the political angle of uh, this whole decision. The decision by OPEC to cut production could be viewed as a double win for Saudi Arabia. They ensure healthy oil revenues and annoy the US. But why are the US so annoyed? In 2020 and 2021, the US was a net exporter of oil and, like Saudi Arabia, stands to benefit from higher oil prices. And of the oil imported by the US from Saudi Arabia in 2021, that accounted for only 5% of all its imports. Part of the anger is certainly related to the price that US consumers will pay at the pumps. And the other part? The US concern is primarily about whether this is going to undercut the impact of sanctions against Russia, which are designed to limit Putin's ability to conduct the war in Ukraine. This is Joanne Cummings, Distinguished Senior Fellow on National Security at the Middle East Institute and former US diplomat. If oil prices go up and if Russia is able to make more money on the oil that they are still able to sell, they could use that money to fund their fight in Ukraine. Or, you know, money being fungible, they can use the money to to support people inside Russia. While not part of the core OPEC group, Russia is part of the OPEC plus group and was involved in the recent decision to cut production, increasing prices. And the US were quick to tie together the increase in oil prices and the benefit that it could provide Russia. This was White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre speaking on October the 11th. Well, we believe by, uh, by the decision that OPEC Plus made last week, they certainly are uh, aligning themselves with Russia. And right now, this is not a time uh, to be aligning uh, with Russia, especially with this brutal, unprecedented uh, war that they have started uh, in, in Ukraine. And we have been very clear about that. Even with the price rise, it's still unclear how much Russia stands to gain. Russia is limited in the countries to which it can sell oil. And I believe right now it's mainly China and India, and I believe that they are buying it at a discounted price because they know they're the only ones buying it. They can put pressure on Russia and say, look, if you want us to take it, give us a cut. So whether reduced production causes a rise in the oil price is one question. Whether Russia is able to benefit from it is another question. But the American reaction is that this could provide money for Russia to continue its 
occupation, its invasion of Ukraine. If, as the U.S. asserts, the recent OPEC Plus decision is an indication of Saudi Arabia's intention to move closer to Russia, what can the Gulf nation gain from such a partnership? Imad Harbigan. Saudi Arabia, like all other countries, especially countries that live in a in dangerous neighborhoods, so to speak, and uh, countries that feel that they are threatened or something, that they do not want to be dependent in their relationships uh, and their foreign policy on uh, one superpower, so to speak, uh, like the uh, the Gulf countries and uh, uh, and the United States. They they really want to diversify. This is this is basically hedging in foreign policy. You, you want to hedge. You, you don't want to put all your eggs in, your, in one basket. So they went to Russia. Maybe they think that Russia may provide a better partner or something like that, or somebody to go to if things uh, really sour with the United States. Perhaps not a terrible idea for Saudi Arabia. Seoul's strategic dependency on one foreign power does have its risks. But Riyadh probably shouldn't expect any large checks in the post. Uh, you know, economically speaking, uh, I don't think that the Gulf countries can rely on Russia's economy, for instance. Uh, it's, it's way, way too small to really... Uh, and today it's uh, laden with a whole bunch of, uh, of sanctions. So uh, I, I don't think that economically they're going to really benefiting from Russia. The only econo- economic benefit they're going to get from Russia is if they coordinate on, you know, on oil policy, just like they did uh, a few weeks ago with the oil, uh, oil cut. Historically speaking, the US has served as a security guarantor for Saudi Arabia. But this is unlikely to be a role that Russia could take. While they have proved brutally effective in Syria, when faced against an opponent who is sufficiently armed and capable of countering air power in particular, like they are currently experiencing in Ukraine, they have faltered repeatedly. Uh, politically speaking, uh, you know, Russia is ostracized in the world. I mean, the, uh, only autocratic regimes support what Russia is doing in Ukraine today. So uh, I, I really, uh, this is a very, very fraught relationship. I don't think that increasing relations with Russia is going to be uh, in the long-term, uh, the good long-term interest of, of, of Saudi Arabia. So Russia could be a partner for Saudi Arabia, but they are unlikely to be the partner. Russia has little to offer the Gulf nation, and with their current global standing, being friends with Moscow can tarnish your own brand. Furthermore, Saudi Arabia would be unlikely to be able to pull off the diplomatic gymnastics needed to balance a relationship with both the US and Russia, forcing them to pick one. Joanne Cummings. I think that Saudi Arabia, as a sovereign country, would not be served well by breaking the relationship with the United States. Whether or not MBS as a person feels that he needs to make a stand, he needs to demonstrate his independence, he needs to to show that he's a, a free actor. I mean, these are kind of wild card things. And it's very difficult um, without knowing exactly how he is balancing how it looks to his domestic audience and how it actually plays in the rest of the world without knowing that balance for him. It's difficult to predict exactly 
how he will respond. No rational person would say, it will be better for me to side with Russia than the United States. That is simply not a reasonable view of what each country provides in terms of affiliation, partnership, joint projects, history, and all the rest of it. Perhaps sensing the mood in Washington that Riyadh was getting too close to Moscow, Saudi Arabia announced on October 18th that it was sending $400 million in aid to Ukraine. But the gesture proved largely ineffective in the hearts and minds of the Biden administration. Uh, So the president is going to strategically uh, think through what uh, the review process is and how we move forward uh, with this relationship. He's going to take his time to consult with members of both parties, with with partners, allies, and with with the Saudis as well. We've taken note since the OPEC plus cut that uh, Saudi Arabia voted against Russia at the United Nations and also pledged $4 million to support Ukraine's reconstruction and humanitarian needs. These steps do not compensate, though, for the production cut, but they are noteworthy. And we'll be watching to see what Saudi Arabia does over the coming weeks and we'll inform our consultations and, and, and review. I'm certainly not going to comment. In recent history, the U.S. has had a checkered record in the Middle East, but the relationship with Saudi Arabia has certainly proved reliable and certainly proved vital for Riyadh. As previously mentioned, the recent oil cut has proved highly unpopular in Washington. On October 18th, the No Oil Producing and Exporting Cartels Act, or NOPEC Act, was put forward for debate in the Senate by the U.S. Senate Judiciary Committee. If passed, this would, under U.S. law, make oil producing and exporting cartels illegal. The fact that this bill has been approved for debate after first being proposed over two decades ago points to how serious Washington is taking the oil price rise. While the bill has recently progressed further than it has since it was first proposed over 20 years ago, it still faces major opposition from powerful political and corporate groups in the US. The passage of the bill remains very uncertain. One area of US-Saudi relations that is more likely to be re-examined by Washington is the status of the US as Saudi Arabia's security guarantor and the lucrative business of selling arms to Saudi Arabia. In very, very pragmatic terms, the companies that produce the American arms weaponry that is sold to Saudi Arabia have a deep interest in those sales not ending. I am sure that there are lobbying efforts going on in Washington as we speak to stop a full blockage of U.S. arms sales to Saudi Arabia. I am also sure that the U.S. Department of Defense is raising the implications of withdrawing U.S. troops, which first is logistically very difficult to do, very expensive to do. And we we have the troops there for our own interests. We don't specifically have the troops there to help Saudi Arabia. We see our security umbrella over Saudi Arabia as in our own interests. 
as well as that of Saudi Arabia. So, you know, noses and faces come to mind. Undoing this military cooperation between the US and Saudi Arabia will be very difficult to untangle. But the recent tensions are building on pre-existing concerns about how US weapons are being used. I think it's clear that over recent years, there's been increasing concern in the United States, both in the White House and also more broadly in Congress about some of the impact of the Saudi war in Yemen. The use of American weapons by anyone, anywhere, is sometimes problematic because even if we had nothing to do with the conflict, when someone on camera holds up a piece of a bomb that says made in the USA, that has an impact on the United States. And, you know, that's simply a fact of life. If Saudi Arabia intends to continue that war, and if they felt that they were not getting the resupplies that they need, you can get weapons from other people, but you can't necessarily immediately use them. You can send a box of guns to somebody, and they can pick them up and start shooting. But when it comes to planes and missile launchers, highly sophisticated pieces of military equipment, training is required. In addition to the maintenance of such equipment and the spare parts that will inevitably be needed. If Mohammed bin Salman is considering a drastic change in diplomatic direction, then he would undoubtedly have to reconsider his brutally devastating war in Yemen. Unless Saudi Arabia were willing for an arms-supplying country to come in and physically run that part of the war for them, then there's there's going to be a gap. And I am sure that part of MBS's calculations is that he does not want to seem to be forced to change a military policy because of something the United States does. And Imad Harp. I really don't know if the Gulf can really rely on any other arms sales except the United States. So we're talking about a military doctrine and a military equipment that have been imported by Gulf states from the United States for decades. Uh, you know, you don't build an army, don't build a, a military institution, uh, you know, overnight. You know, this takes years and, and decades. Uh, and and this is this is what's what's going on with Gulf military institutions. Uh, they cannot rely any on, on anyone else except the United States. So. As far as the as the uh, the Gulfies are concerned, uh, these are essential for their military uh, standing, or uh, sometimes even uh, we can say their their, their uh, survival. Uh, in, in the American political uh, street, if you if you will, uh, you know, a lot of people here are saying, you know, why are we still supporting Saudi Arabia and Yemen, or or the UAE in Yemen for that matter, and. Uh, uh, nobody is happy with uh, the American role in Yemen. So uh, the first thing to go is, will, will, will probably be that the United States will certainly, definitely stop anything that has to do with Yemen. So, And I don't think that's going to be really very helpful for uh, the Saudi war effort. 
the recent oil price changes have added fuel to existing concerns. And the recent war of words has resulted in both sides assessing their relationship in a manner not seen for many years. In the United States, we tend to view our relations with other countries in a purely bilateral way. It is about us and them. And we think that it's totally natural for the United States, of course, being a major world player, to have a whole range of priorities and concerns and and uh, and red lines, if you want to put it that way. But we don't necessarily think about those factors in the, the other country. So Saudi Arabia, obviously, is looking at the United States in terms of this relationship, but it's also looking at how it's going to play in terms of Gulf dynamics, in terms of its ability to diversify its international connections in terms of, in the case of MBS, his domestic audience. And let's not forget, that is of concern to him. So I don't think that we've got a breakdown. I don't think we're going to have a breakdown. But I do think that this is, since the murder of Khashoggi, I think this is the first case where a very public, we see this in different ways and we are criticizing each other, has taken place. I'm not sure that's a bad thing. Does the United States want to lose the strategic import of Saudi Arabia? Uh, I, I doubt that that is something that the Biden administration or any other administration uh, is interested in. Uh, they do not want to lose Saudi Arabia for strategic reasons. They don't want somebody else to come and be the uh, hegemon, so to speak, uh, of the area. Uh, this is international strategic uh, thinking 101. I, I don't think that the relationship has deteriorated in such a way that they're going to lose each other. It's not going to be that way. But definitely things are just tense and uh, uh, the price is way, way too high if uh, things don't uh, get fixed up quickly. Thank you for listening to this episode of The New Arab Voice. It was written and produced by me, Hugo Goodridge, and our theme music was by Omar El Phil. The New Arab Voice will be back next week. Until then, you can find all our previous episodes on all major podcast platforms. You can also check out our Instagram page and Twitter account, both at The New Arab Voice, for additional content. You can subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode, and you can also rate and review which helps us spread the word. Don't forget to follow The New Arab on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram for all the latest news from the region.